You're listening to Kalam Institute's podcast series, Sira, Life of the Prophet, by Sheikh Abdul Nasir Jangda. Visit us on the web at kalaminstitute.org or find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash kalaminstitute. Bismillahi walhamdulillah wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillah wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Inshallah, continuing with our series on the life of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, and obviously it goes without saying. Um, basically, everything that's been going on for the last uh, week or so, or even couple of weeks, um, really, you know, more than anything else, there there's a lot of different things that it brings to light, and a lot of different things that we need to understand and figure out in light of recent events. But I, I can't help but feel that primarily for our own community, the primary thing that this highlights to us is how important and how necessary it is for us to be properly educated about the life of the Prophet This is something I started off the entire series. We had a couple of sessions that were solely dedicated to the purpose, the benefits, and the methodology of learning the life of the Prophet and its importance. And this is something that I've continued to reiterate throughout the series. Um, every few sessions I'll take out a few minutes to talk about the importance of it. But you know, we really have to understand, we as Muslims and as a Muslim community, oftentimes, you know, we, we fantasize, romanticize uh, about the golden age of Islam. And especially in tumultuous times, <clears throat> like the times that we are in right now, where there is a global stage, a global scene, and there's a lot of back and forth going on and a lot of different things occurring in regards to Islam, where not only do we see non-Muslims on the offensive or on the front attacking Islam or attacking the life of the Prophet ﷺ, but on top of that, what we also observe is that even the Muslims, the, the general Muslim society as well, many Muslims in different parts of the world, they themselves are not really sure about how to handle these situations. And we even see Muslims contributing to a lot of the overall problems that we have on a global scene. And at the same time though, while we sit in our little circles or we get to gather together in our communities, like I said before, we're romanticizing about the golden age of Islam when we didn't have these problems and we didn't have these situations and people knew exactly what to do and how to handle these situations. But what we also have to understand is that there was something that they implemented. There was something that they understood. You know, it, it wasn't just magical. It wasn't something that was just magical because they were at that time then magically all of a sudden, without any cause or without any methodology, they just were awesome Muslims. And it was an amazing ummah, and it was a golden age. There, there was a process. There was something that led them to that point. And of course, the, the generation of the Sahaba radiallahu anhum, you know, are, are the most exemplary, but at the same time, they are the direct beneficiaries of the teachings of the Prophet wasallam. You know, they're called the Sahaba from Suhba. They had the direct company of the Prophet ﷺ, which obviously nothing can compare to. But what's very interesting is, what did the Sahaba do for their children? Because then that was a different generation now. What did the Sahaba do for their generation? What was the foundation that they, uh, for, for their children, for their coming generations? What was the foundation that they gave to them, that they provided for them? So when we read the testimony of the Sahaba, like Sa'ad bin Abi Waqas radiallahu anhu, and we read the testimony of the generation of the Tabi'un, the children of the Sahaba, what they did for their children, we find one thing consistent throughout, you know, a thousand years following the generation of the Sahaba. That the consistent thing that we find is that they said Sirah was the foundation of the identity of Muslims. It was the primary tool to lay the foundation of the community and to strengthen the ummah and to give a sense of belonging and identity and understanding of one's religion. You know, I, I talked about this at the beginning of the Sirah sessions, even when we started them. You know, Quran is, of course, the blueprint. The study of the Book of Allah is very important, but one of the primary prerequisites to properly understanding the Qur'an is to understand the backdrop of the Qur'an, the historical context of the Qur'an. 
Because without that historical context of the Qur'an, we have exactly what we have in the world today. Because then it's a free-for-all. Then anyone can interpret any, anything as, uh, uh, however they want. And so the life of the Prophet ﷺ is a very powerful tool. And at the same time, because of, you know, even when you teach children, even as adults, a good khutbah that you heard probably had something that helped you relate to what was being talked about. And more often than not, what is it in that good khutbah or that good lecture that helps you connect or relate to the topic that's being addressed? It's a story. It's a story, something that you feel that you can connect to, something that sounds human. And so therefore it's practical for you, it's relevant for you. Well, that's exactly what the life of the Prophet ﷺ is. It takes all these things, which are not abstract, which are not solely theoretical, but the human reality is that when these amazing qualities, when these worthwhile values are addressed and explained and laid out, to the average common human being who might lack that foundation and that background, it could sound very theoretical. It could sound very abstract. If I just sat here for an hour and talked endlessly about taqwa, 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 just read you ayat, read you a hadith, and just explained what is taqwa. You, you might be entertained, you might be engaged, you might even be able to quote something, but how would you practically apply it in your life? How would you? But you would need something human that would illustrate to you what is the manifestation of taqwa. How can I realize taqwa in my life? That's the biggest need that we have today. I mean, we live in the age of information. See, that's something to think about. We talk about, oh, we need knowledge, there's not enough knowledge. No, 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 no. I disagree, completely disagree. We live in the age of information. What do you want? You want, you, you want translation of the Qur'an? You could literally within minutes on any handheld device, pull up a dozen translations of the Qur'an. You want tafsir of the Qur'an? Within minutes you could pull up on your handheld device, you know, four different tafsirs of a surah. You want the fiqh of an issue? Pull it up. I'm not recommending that by the way, that's not the proper system of learning. I'm just trying to illustrate a point. Information is readily available. But what's the, the, the problem still there? So then what's the issue for the motivated, the inspired, the driven student? Why is that student still thirsty and still struggling? Because just the raw information is enough. I need for it to be contextualized. I need to be able to apply it to my life. I need to understand how it is relevant to me in my situation. And that's exactly where the sirah comes into play. And so with everything that's going on and that's been transpiring, it's just a reminder, another reminder for us. That's exactly what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told us. That it's very plausible that there will be something that you severely dislike, it's distasteful to you. Such as the events that have been going on for the last week or so. Both the very crude, inappropriate slander of the Messenger of Allah, peace and blessings be upon him, and equally, the very inappropriate, immature, uneducated response of Muslims in many parts of the world. So th what this brings to light is we understand that this is very distasteful. But Allah says, وَهُوَ خَيْرٌ لَكُمْ But it might be good for you. It might be good for you. Meaning what? That something good might come out of, as, might come out of it as a consequence. You might be able to understand and realize and learn something from that traumatic, that tragic experience. And we as an ummah, hopefully have learned and have realized and have woken up to the reality that we need some serious education about the life of the Prophet Because if we are to refute slander and lies about our messenger, well then we gotta be able to actually refute it. We can't just say, oh that's bad, that's bad. Well how is it bad? What's inaccurate? How is it inaccurate? What's wrong about it? What's inappropriate about it? Look, we're all believers in this room. We all understand it's wrong and it's inappropriate and it's offensive and it's insulting and it's blasphemous. We understand that. But if we are to engage ever in an in intellectual conversation, we have to be able to explain how and why and where and from what it is wrong. We have to be able to explain that. 
And we have to come to that, to that table, that, that place of discussion, as educated, informed believers. Otherwise, if we say, no, it's wrong. How is it wrong? What's wrong about it? It's just wrong. I don't know. We'll find out. If the Muslim Ummah is saying, I don't know, then who's supposed to know? That's, see, that's, that's the irony of this entire situation. I'm not absolving the people who did what they did because there were vile, wretched people even at the time of the Prophet we're going, to read, we're going to learn about one today. Abu Lahab, we're going to study about Abu Lahab today. There have always been vile, wretched human beings. Abu Jahal, Abu Lahab. There's always been people like that. And there will always be people like that. So we're not absolving them of what they did. We're just simply saying, we'll implement the guidance from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, وَذَرْنِي وَالْمُكَذِّبِينَ Let me take care of them. It, it, I remember, you know, and, and I understand this could come off very you know, aggressive, if you will. But at the same time, I'm just simply expressing what's in my heart. I remember, you know, learning from my parents. Very simple example, but words of wisdom. That sometimes when, you know, kids at school maybe would make inappropriate remarks or would say something vile or say something inappropriate. Or even, you know, growing up here 30 years ago, 30 plus years ago, there weren't a lot of Muslims around. So from time to time you would run into the situation, you know, if you, uh, you know, my, my father's wearing a kufi or has a beard or my mother is in hijab, somebody would say something and as a 12 year old, 14 year old, 15 year old, you know, you just have a little bit of, you're a little, you know, you're quick to react, basically. You know, and as far as I'm concerned, I'm a red-blooded Texan, so it's like, well, what, what are you talking about? So you immediately want to get confrontational when somebody says something inappropriate, especially to your family members. And I remember my parents teaching me something. They said that when you're walking, you know, along in your neighborhood, you're walking down the street from your house, walking around in the neighborhood, and a lot of times here in Texas, because we have those backyards that are fenced off, what will happen sometimes? You're walking by a backyard, and what happens? The dog in the backyard hears or senses somebody walking by. What did they do immediately? They'll come and they'll literally hit the fence, and they'll start barking like crazy. And as you're walking, they'll keep following along with you along the fences, barking at you nonstop. And my parents asked me a simple question. They said, do you stop and start barking back at the dog? I said, of course not. That'd be ridiculous. That'd be silly. And so he said, exactly. You don't stop and start barking back at the dog. You go about your business because you're above that. You're a human being. Ashraf al-makhluqat. Insan. You don't sit there and start barking back at the dog. And, and so there's a little bit of that mentality that we also have to understand, we have to internalize. But having said that, it does spark a conversation, especially in the, in, in the, in the world that we live in. With the internet, YouTube, social media, it starts to spark a bigger conversation on a grander scale. Now those questions have to be answered. And if I, as a Muslim, cannot answer those questions, who's supposed to be able to then? And so we have to know about the life of the Prophet And similarly, so aside from being able to just respond, at the same time, how to handle, because see, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said about the Prophet with emphasis in the Qur'an, لَقَدْ كَانَ لَكُمْ فِي رَسُولِ اللَّهِ أُسْوَةٌ حَسَنًا لَقَدْ This is with emphasis. No doubt. That there always has been and there always will be. Kanalakum fi simrar. There has always been and will always be fi Rasulillah. And that fi is meaning it means inside of something. What that means is self, it's completely self-sufficient. It's 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 all you, you'll ever need. Solely in the Messenger. Everything is contained in him. Uswatun Hasana is the most excellent role model. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says. So Allah is saying that without a shred of a doubt, in the Prophet ﷺ, you have the ultimate, most excellent role model that you could ever need for any situation. And we only realize, you say, how is that possible? One man, 63 years of life, 23 years of prophethood. What do you mean everything is there? If we read and we learn and we study, we'll see, we'll find our, our answers there. But we first got to sit down and read and study and learn. 
And so it's very imperative that this be a part of our course of action. That we need to go online and we need to refute, let's do that. We need to have a campaign and inform people about the proper understanding of the problem. Let's do that. We need to do this. We need to, let's do all of that. But at the end of the day, if we still forget to invest our own personal time, apply ourselves to sit down and learn who the Prophet ﷺ is, to make sure that our children are not making the same mistake, that with our children's generation, that same mistake is not being made again that was made with our generation, and that was ignorance about the life of the Prophet ﷺ, we gotta make sure that that same mistake's not made again. And so let's learn ourselves, let's educate our families, let's educate our children, let's become an informed, educated, inspired community. And then we'll be in a better position to be able to educate others as well, inshallah. So in the previous session, we were talking about the Islam of Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu, meaning Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu coming to and accepting Islam. And we talked about a very beautiful story which you know, talks about Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu publicly addressing the Quraysh and defending the Prophet sallallahu and the result and the consequence of that where he was beaten brutally and we talked about the entire story. One thing I wanted to add to kind of put things back into the chronological you know, order that we've been covering the events in, that it is very plausible, in fact it is more likely that this event, I wanted to mention it there because it fits in with tying about, it ties in with speaking about Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu becoming Muslim, but this probably occurred a little bit later. What we're gonna talk about today occurred before that incident that I mentioned previously. So these first few people had started to come to Islam. There's probably a dozen or so Muslims. Quite a bit of time had gone by in this manner, in this, in this format. And at that point in time, the second phase of prophethood was initiated. And that second phase of prophethood was that it was now time to take the message public. It was now time to take the message public. But even that had a sequence to it. Public didn't mean that it went all out public, all at once. But it, even that had a gradual progression to it. How to go public, from where to start going public. And that began with the ayah, there are many, many different narrations um, narrated by Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal and Ibn Ishaq in his seerah and Alama Bayhaqi. And there are even narrations from the Sahihain from Bukhari and Muslim. Many different narrations. I, I'm going to try to put these in the sequence that they actually occurred. A lot of times when you read a seerah book, maybe sometimes they, you know, depending on how it's compiled, the sequence might be out of order or out of sequence based on the popularity of some narrations over the other. But I'm going to try to put this in the proper correct sequence. There's a narration from Ali bin Abi Talib radiallahu anhu um, that the Prophet of, that when the ayah came down, لما نزلت هذه الآية على رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم وأنذر عشيرتك الأقربين وأنذر عشيرتك الأقربين and warn the closest of your tribes people. What that basically means, what we would say in English is not just your family, meaning your home. When we say family, we think home. The, the members of the household were already Muslim. Remember Khadija radiallahu anha, Ali bin Abi Talib, Zayd ibn Haritha, the best friend Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu, along with other people. But Ashira basically meant the, what we call an extended family. Extended family. There's, the word in Urdu is khandan. Like the extended family of a person. Uncles and aunts and cousins. That extended family. So go and warn the extended family members. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told him that go and warn them. And whoever follows you from the believers, then be very humble and be very merciful to them. And that was an indication of the simple fact that when you go and you warn these family members of yours, this extended family of yours, you might deal with a negative response or, a ne or some backlash. So those who are actually willing to follow you will require your mercy and will require great care and consideration from you. Because they're going to be facing a lot of odds and they're going to be you know, facing an uphill battle. So the Messenger of Allah وسلم, tells Ali radiallahu anhu, عَرَفْتُ أَنِّي إِنْ بَدَأْتُ بِهَا قَوْمِ رَأَيْتُ مِنْهُمْ مَا أَكْرَهُ فَصَمَتْتُ 
The Prophet of Allah ﷺ, one narration actually says that, he said that, I know that if I go and I start with my family members, my qawm, my people, my extended family, then what I know about them is that they will not like what I have to say, what their response will not be very good, and that, that's why I hesitate. I'm quiet, I hesitate. I, I, I'm, I'm very hesitant to go and talk to my family about it because of what I know about them. I know them and I know, I know who they are and I'm very hesitant. فَجَاءَنِي جِبْرِيلَ عَلَيْهِ السَّلَامِ فَقَالَ يَا مُحَمَّدْ إِنْ لَمْ تَفْعَلْ مَا أَمَرَكَ بِهِ رَبُّكَ عَذَّبَكَ رَبُّكَ And Jibreel alayhi salam came to the Prophet and he said, O Muhammad if you do not do what your Lord has commanded you to do, your Lord will punish you. As those are very harsh, strict words. Now of course, obviously we speak about the Messenger ﷺ with the utmost respect, but we see this is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala holding the Prophet ﷺ accountable for the delivering of the message. So Allah is holding him accountable. A practical lesson that we can extract from that is that we have to understand when we say Ashhadu wa la ilaha illallah wa ashhadu anna Muhammadan abduhu wa rasuluh, it is a, a, a responsibility that we shoulder, it is a responsibility that we carry, that we must share this message with the rest of humanity. And if we don't, we will be held accountable. And what's very interesting is that the narration says that your Lord will punish you. And the punishment of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can be in many, many different various forms. This doesn't just mean what we immediately think of, oh, in the hereafter, there will be some punishment upon you. No, no, no. This could mean that the punishment of Allah will come upon you in the life of this world as well. And when we see what's going on in the world today, this is nothing more than the punishment of Allah. This is the consequence of our deeds. When people don't respect us and people don't respect that which we respect, this is, a, this is directly connected to what I said earlier. This is us directly connected to us not doing our jobs. And when Muslims themselves don't know exactly what to do in these situations, what do you think that is? That is a punishment. Meaning it is a direct consequence of us not doing our job. And so your Lord will punish you. So Ali radiallahu anhu says, Fada'ani, the Prophet called me. فَقَالَ يَا عَلِي إِنَّ اللَّهَ قَدْ أَمَرَنِي أَنْ أُنذِرَ عَشِيرَتِي الْأَقْرَبِينَ He said, Oh Ali, my Lord has commanded me, Allah has commanded me to warn my close family members. فَاصْنَعْ لَنَا يَا عَلِي شَاتَنَ عَلَى صَاعٍ مِّن طَعَامٍ وَأَعِدَّ لَنَا عُسَّ لَبَنٍ So he said, Ali, go in basically roast a, or prepare, cook a, a, uh, a goat for us. Go and cook a goat for us. Go slaughter an animal and cook and prepare the food for us. And, and also prepare some other food along with it. Some rice or something else along with it. And also go and bring basically a big bowl of milk. So go and cook some meat. Put some sides on the, you know, cook some sides to that meat. And then also go and get a big bowl of milk. And he gave Ali radiallahu anhu probably whatever he needed in regards to that. And he told him, go and prepare this and bring this and get this ready. And then go and call all the sons, meaning all the family of Abdul Muttalib, and gather them together for me. So Ali radiallahu anhu says, فَفَعَلْتُ I did exactly what he asked me, what he asked me to do. وَهُمْ يَوْمَئِذٍ أَرْبَعُونَ رَجُلًا يَزِيدُونَ رَجُلًا أَوْ يَنْقُصُونَ فِيهِمْ أَعْمَامُهُ أَبُوْ طَالِبُ وَحَمْزَ وَالْعَبَّاسُ وَأَبُوْ لَهَبُ الْكَافِرِ And then it describes who Abu Lahab was. So he says that I did exactly that, and they all got together, and there was about 40 people that got together. And he says there might have been one or more, give or take a few, but about 40 people got together. And amongst those 40 people were the uncles of the Prophet ﷺ. Meaning the, the paternal uncles, the brothers of his father, the direct uncles. Abu Talib, Hamza, Abbas, and Abu Lahab. فَقَدَّمْتُ إِلَيْهِمْ تِلْكَ الْجَفْنَةِ So I presented the food to them, فَأَخَذَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهِ عَلَيْهِ مِنْهَا حِذْيَةً فَشَقَّهَا بِأَسْنَانِهِ ثُمَّ رَمَا بِهَا فِي نَوَاحِيَا وَقَالَ كُلُوا بِسْمِ اللَّهِ Then Ali radiallahu anhu described one of the early mu'ajizat, miracles of the Prophet ﷺ, because he said the food, while it sounds like, you know, you cook a whole goat, and you put some food on the side, and you get a bowl of milk, but think about 40 men. 
That's not going to suffice. And so he says, when I finally presented the food, the Prophet ﷺ took a little bit of the food and he took a bite from it and then he put it in the corner of the plate and then he said, now eat by the name of Allah. Kulu bismillah. Begin, by, e, begin eating by the name of Allah. With the name of Allah. فَأَكَلَ الْقَوْمُ حَتَّى نَهِلُوا عَنْهُ مَا يُرَى إِلَّا آثَرُ أَصَابِعِهِمْ And then Ali anhu says, they all dug in. And what he describes is that everybody ate to their fill. Like it was a feast. Like when you haven't eaten all day and then you go to a get-together or a party, and especially if it's family members, then there's, you know, a lack of formality. Not everyone's, it's not like some formal dinner. It's just family members. It's your brothers and your cousins and your uncles. Everybody grubs, everybody chows down. And so he said everybody started eating very heavily. And so much so that you just would see their, you know, their hands keep going into the dish, taking more food, taking more food. Wallahi, and he says, I swear by God, in kana rajulu layakulu mithlaha, that, you know, it, 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 was so, it, it was so little food that basically at that time, especially the eating habits that some of these people had, that maybe one man could have finished most of this food off himself. But in spite of that, 40 people ate from that. ثُمَّ قَالَ And then the Prophet said, Now give them something to drink, Ya Ali. Now remember, it's a bowl of milk. And it might have been a bigger bowl. But come on. How many of us have ever taken some cereal in a big old bowl and just poured milk in there and just, you know, gone to town on it? So, you know, it's, I mean, these are grown men. It's a big bowl of milk, but they're grown men. 40 men. And... فَجِئْتُ بِذَلِكَ الْقَعْبِ فَشَرِبُوا مِنُوا حَتَّى نَهِلُوا جَمِيعًا وَأَيْمُ اللَّهِ إِنْ كَانَ الرَّجُلُ لَيَشْرَبُوا مِثْلَهُ And then he says that the bowl was brought and they all drank from it. And again, Ali radiallahu anhu swears that I swear to God that one man could have drank in that whole bowl by himself. But they, 40 people drank from that one bowl. فَلَمَّا أَرَادَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهِ وسلم أَنْ يُكَلِّمَهُمْ بَدَرَهُ أَبُو لَهَبْ and then the Prophet ﷺ, once everybody ate and everybody drank and everybody was comfortable and kind of chilling, and then the Prophet ﷺ was about to speak to them, Abu Lahab jumped in. And by now, you know, some of the uncles and close family members had kind of heard about what was going on. And so Abu Lahab jumped in and فَقَالَ لَهَدَّ مَا سَحْرُكُمْ صَاحِبُكُمْ And Abu Lahab jumped in and said that you know, this, this, fa- this, this brother of yours, sahibukum, like this, this family member of yours, this guy, he's done magic to all of us. Because they're all sitting there, they're all eating, and after a while, everyone kind of looks around and realizes, 40 people drinking from one bowl, 40 people eating from a big tray of food. And then he says, oh, look, look, he's practicing his magic on us. فَتَفَرَّقُوا And people got kind of nervous and... Everybody got up and started to leave. One of the narrations even says that Abu Lahab said this and got up and left himself. And being kind of the leader and the, the elder you know, family member, once he got up and walked out, then everybody got up and started walking out. وَلَمْ يُكَلِّمْهُمْ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهِ وسلم. And the Prophet didn't get a chance to talk to them. فَلَمَّا كَانَ الْغَدْ So Ali radiallahu anhu says, then when tomorrow, the next day rolled around, the Prophet again told Ali radiallahu anhu, عُدْ لَنَا بِمِثْلِ الَّذِي كُنْتَ صَنَعَتَ لَنَا بِالْأَمْسِ مِنَ الطَّعَامِ وَالشَّرَابِ The Prophet told Ali radiallahu anhu, here you go, go make similar arrangements. Let's do it all over again. Go make similar arrangements. And, فَإِنَّ هَذَا الرَّجُلْ قَدْ بَدَرَنِي إِلَى مَا سَمِعْتَ قَبْلَ أَنْ أُكَلِّمَ الْقَوْمِ Because he told Ali radiallahu anhu that the gentleman basically spoke before me and kind of ruined my opportunity to be able to talk to the people and I didn't get a chance to properly address them. So again Ali radiallahu anhu says, I prepared the food, I sent out the invitation, everybody got together and you know, everybody ate and again, you know, he gives the same detail, it was enough food for one person but everybody ate and then I brought them the milk, the bowl of milk, everyone drank even though it would have been, you know, one person could have finished it himself but everybody drank and again as soon as the Prophet literally was opening his mouth, Abu Lahab jumped in again, cut him off again. And again, he said, oh, look, 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 here he goes doing his magic again. He still showed up to eat, eat the food. He still shows up to eat the food. But then he again kind of breaks up the party, ruins the whole situation, kind of crashes the party. Oh, here he goes with his magical stuff again. 
Come on, come on, everybody, let's get out of here. And everybody got up and dispersed. The Prophet of Allah sallallahu the third day again tells Ali radiallahu anhu, let's do it again. And Ali radiallahu anhu said, I went and I made the arrangements again. And I sent out the invitations again. And everybody got together. And everybody ate. Look at, look at the character of the Prophet Everybody ate and everybody drank. You, th- you figure by the third day, he's going to be like, uh-uh, nobody eat no food. Guess what? I didn't even make any food today. <laughs> That's what we would do, right? Aha, gotcha, no food today. Right? He didn't do that. He prepared the food, and everybody ate the food, and everybody drank the milk, and then the Prophet spoke up and beat Abu Lahab to the punch. And then the Prophet said, Ya Bani Abdul Muttalib. Ya Bani Abdul Muttalib. Oh, the sons of Abdul Muttalib, the family of Abdul Muttalib. Not only is that true, are they the family of Abdul Muttalib, but that is also a very respectful address. Because if you remember the earlier sessions in the seerah, where we talked about the family background of the Prophet ﷺ, we said Abdul Muttalib wasn't just a lead, wasn't just their, wasn't just the grandfather, wasn't just a leader of the people. He was a legendary leader. He was a leader that had basically unified the Arabs to quite an extent. Because of him, the Arabs were very organized and were somewhat of a force. Because they were unified under his leadership, because he was just such a, you know, unanimously everybody was in agreement when it came to his leadership. So he, he respectfully addressed him. He respectfully addresses him. Ya Bani Abdul Muttalib, inni wallahi ma a'lamu shabban min al Arab ja'ahu qawmuhu bi afdala mimma ji'tukum bihi. He said, I swear to God, I do not know any. I do not know any man from the Arabs who has come to his people with something better than what I have come to you with today. I don't know anyone who's ever brought anything to his people that is more beneficial than what I am presenting to you today. Which is absolutely true. Inni I have come to you with something that will benefit you both in this world and also in the life of the hereafter. In another narration, he says, وَقَدْ أَمَرَنِي اللَّهُ أَنْ أَدْعُوَكُمْ إِلَيْهِ And God has commanded me, Allah has commanded me to call you to it. فَأَيُّكُمْ يُوَازِرُونِي عَلَى هَذَا الْأَمْرِ عَلَى أَنْ يَكُونَ أَخِي So who amongst you will help me, will aid me, will support me and be my brother? And be my aid in this cause. And the narration goes on to say, Ali radiallahu anhu describes that nobody responded. Everybody was quiet. So much so that Abbas radiallahu anhu, Hamza radiallahu anhu, who were not Muslim yet, but would accept Islam later on, so because of them accepting later Islam later on, they were inclined towards this truth. And Ali radiallahu anhu says you could somewhat see from their face that they wanted to say something. They felt inclined, but they hesitated. I mean, they're sitting pretty much with the entire brain trust of Mecca. With the most powerful city, uh, the most powerful family in the most powerful city of Arabia. So there was some slight hesitation. They were kind of looking around. And the Prophet ﷺ is basically pressing. Who will support me? Who will aid me? Who will join this cause? And finally, Ali says, I couldn't wait any longer. And the narration says, Ali was probably 12 or 13 years old at this time. Now, Think about this, 12 or 13 years old, he says, Ana ya Rasulullah. I will, O Messenger of Allah. I will. The Prophet said, Anta, you? He said, Naam, Ana. And Ali radiallahu anhu describes in the narration himself, not what he said there, but he's, he's describing, recalling that situation. He says, I swear to God, on that day, I was the least respectful, I mean, the least dignified out of all of them. When it came to like social standing, I was the least of social standing. I was a 13-year-old kid. These are some of the most powerful men in Arabia. 
I was the least in social standing out of all of them. He says, I was the, he, he uses some beautiful Arabic phrases to kind of describe, you know, his situations. Um, in another narration, he even goes as far as describing himself as, That I had the most, you know when you wake up in the morning and you have a little bit of, you know, I don't know, gunk, I don't know what it's called. Right? You have a little bit of like stuff right here that you got to kind of scrape and clean out of your eye. He said, I, had, I was the most fresh-eyed. I was the most fresh-eyed out of all of them, which is an Arabic expression for saying, I was a child compared to them. I was a child. I was a boy. You know, because like, you know how a child is? A grown man kind of grooms himself, cleans himself before he presents himself before the people. Boys, kids, just walk right out. They'll eat food and they'll still have food all over their face. So he says, I was a boy. So I still had, you know, some junk in the side of my eye. I was still physically, you know, the lightest of them. Socially, I was the, the lightest of them. Age-wise, I was one of the youngest amongst them. But I stood up and I expressed my support to the Prophet ﷺ. And one of the narrations goes on to say that the Prophet of Allah was so pleased at Ali radiallahu anhu standing up and speaking up for him and showing his support for the Prophet that the Prophet of Allah praised Ali radiallahu anhu at that time in front of everyone. And the Prophet of Allah um, basically said about Ali radiallahu anhu that he is my brother. And he is my aid and my supporter. And he will be a leader after me as well. And now, you know that this had gone on kind of long enough, you're probably wondering, where's Abu Lahab this entire time? So now that this kind of, this exchange happened, now Abu Lahab, because the Prophet ﷺ spoke well of Ali radiallahu anhu and said, he is my brother, he is my supporter, he is a believer, and he will be a leader after me, he is a role model for everyone. He praised Ali radiallahu anhu because he was willing to support him in that family gathering where nobody else was speaking up. That now Abu Lahab struck. And Abu Lahab says to Abu Talib, who had inherited the leadership of Mecca of Quraysh from the father Abdul Muttalib, he tells Abu Talib, he says, look, look, look what, your, look what our nephew says. Our nephew says that you should follow your own son. Our nephew, he wants you to be submissive to your little 13-year-old boy. He tells the father that the son will be a leader. So what does that make you? That makes you a follower? I thought you were the big dog. I thought you were the big leader of Quraysh. I thought you're the chief of Mecca. Look at this, your nephew humiliates you. He puts your little boy in a position of leadership. Basically, doing exactly, sound familiar? Sound familiar? Taking something and basically spinning it, turning it, molding it into something that it's not. Sensationalizing something. Scandalizing a situation. The Prophet ﷺ is just positively reinforcing a young man who shows bravery and courage. Abu Lahab turns it into something completely different. He turns it into somehow, some way, in his, in his twisted mind, he's able to turn this into an insult to the father of the boy, to the uncle of the Prophet ﷺ, the man who raised the Prophet ﷺ. Such a man that the Prophet ﷺ had so much love and so much respect for Abu Talib. The Prophet ﷺ loved Abu Talib. He loved him and respected him so much. He would never dare disrespect Abu Talib. We will read narrations later that even when the Quraysh would come and complain to Abu Talib, and Abu Talib would call the Prophet ﷺ and he says, Nephew, you know I got your back. But come on, you're rocking the boat here. These people keep coming to me and telling me like, you know, what, what are you doing? That the Prophet wouldn't just tell his uncle, Hey listen, I gotta do what I gotta do. You know, if you can't take the heat, get out the kitchen. He didn't speak to his uncle that way. He didn't speak to the man who raised him that way. The narrations, when we get there, you'll see that the Prophet would break down into tears. He's a 40-something-year-old man. But because this is the man that raised him, it's like his father. It's like the man who raised him. 
It's his parent. Just like we would in front of our own parents, the Prophet would break down into tears and he would say, Uncle, dear uncle, Ya Ammi, my dear, dear uncle, I never wanted to harm you. I meant no insult or offense to you. That's how much respect and humility the Prophet ﷺ had in front of his uncle Abu Talib. Because he had respect. He was a dignified man. So the Prophet wasn't disrespecting Abu Talib, but that's what Abu Lahab turned it into. Sensationalizing, scandalizing something innocent. Something very appropriate. And once Abu Lahab said this, and he got up and he walked away from there, everyone dispersed. And so that was the first direct interaction the Prophet ﷺ had, openly preaching and teaching, beginning with his family members, and uh, Banu Hashim, Banu Abdul Muttalib, his family members. So that was the first public address by the Prophet ﷺ. Sometime after this, the Prophet ﷺ basically realized now that the news was now out there, everything was official, all the speculation was over, anything anyone had been gossiping about, speculating about, wondering about was all gone. The mystery was gone now. It was out there. So the Prophet ﷺ now, taking it up to the next level, the progression of the publicity of the message, it took the next step. Now the Prophet ﷺ gathered the Quraysh. Now he gathered the tribe. First it was just the family. Banu Abdul Muttalib, Banu Hashim if you will. Now he gathered the tribe. Not even all of Mecca, all of Arabia, but no, just the tribe. Just Quraysh. And it said that he gathered them all together. And the Prophet of Allah ﷺ was a man of great respect. Anything he said, the Prophet ﷺ, you know the ahadith in the Shama'il that we read about the Prophet ﷺ being very quiet, being very measured with his words, not speaking unnecessarily. That was the character of the Prophet ﷺ, even pre-Nabuwa, before prophethood. So if the Prophet ﷺ is publicly gathering everyone to address everyone, everyone took it very seriously. So everyone gathers together, and the Prophet ﷺ ascends, climbs up on the mountain of Safa. And from there he addresses the Quraysh. And so the narration narrated by Ibn Abbas he says, لَمَّا أَنزَلَ اللَّهُ وَأَنذِرَ عَشِيرَتَكَ الْأَقْرَبِينَ أَتَى نَبِيُّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ أَصْصَفَى فَصَاعِدَ عَلَيْهِ ثُمَّ نَادَى يَا صَبَاحَاهُ the Prophet ﷺ climbed up on the mountain of Safa and he said, Ya Sabaha, Ya Sabaha, which was basically an emphatic address of, Listen, listen, my brothers, listen to me. Family members, listen. Brothers of mine, listen. And this immediately got everyone's attention. And then the Prophet ﷺ started to address each family Ya Bani Abdul Muttalib, Ya Bani Fihr. Ya Bani Luway. In another narration, he addressed even more family members. When he said, he addressed him, Ya Ma'ashara Quraysh, Ya Ma'ashara Bani Ka'ab, Ya Ma'ashara Bani Hashim, Ya Ma'ashara Bani Abdul Muttalib. And then there are a couple of different narrations where it's very plausible the Prophet said all of these following things. So he started off by just addressing them as, Ya Bani Abdul Muttalib, Ya Bani Fihir, Ya Bani Luway, Ara'aytum law akhbartukum. That he said that, what do you think? If I said that there were, there's a cavalry, there's a cavalry, a whole army, a battalion, an entire cavalry is on the other side of this mountain that is about to come and attack you, would you believe me? Would you believe me? We, you know, we, I, I don't know how much in detail I'm going to get into this, but even from these addresses of the Prophet ﷺ, we actually even learn how to engage people when speaking to them. We even learn how to engage people when even speaking to them. 
including, you know, all these modern techniques of public speaking, posing a question, encouraging interaction, letting your audience think, taking a strategic, thoughtful, contemplative pause. Look at the address of the Prophet he, he addresses them to the point where he gets their attention, gives them importance. Ya Bani Abdul Muttalib, Ya Bani Fihir, Ya Bani Luway. Ara'aytum, think about this. Have you thought, have you considered that if I said there is an army on the other side of this mountain about to come and attack you, asadaqtumuni, would you believe me? And then letting it simmer, just a little, to see what response they have. Qalu na'am. Now they respond, interaction. They said, yes, O Messenger. Or rather, na'am ya Muhammad. Yes, O Muhammad. And then another narration goes on to say that they say to the Prophet ﷺ actually, explicitly, that ma jarrabnaka kathiban. That we have not found you to ever be a liar. We've never experienced you to be a liar. We've never, we've never had an experience of you lying to us. Why wouldn't we believe? We have no reason to doubt you. We have no reason to be skeptical of you. Then the Prophet ﷺ said, Then I am here to warn you about a very severe punishment that is coming your way. Another narration says that the Prophet of Allah ﷺ said, Ya ma'ashara Quraysh, anqidhu anfusakum min nar O society of Quraysh, O community of Quraysh, save yourselves from the fire. Ya ma'ashara bani Ka'b, anqidhu anfusakum min nar O banu Ka'b, save yourselves from the fire of hell. Ya ma'ashara bani Hashim, anqidhu anfusakum min nar Ya ma'ashara bani Abdul Muttalib, anqidhu anfusakum min nar He's telling each of the family, save yourselves from the fire of hell. Save yourselves from the fire of hell. Save yourselves from the fire of hell. And even in that, is, it's a, you know, you might say, oh man, that's kind of heavy. Save yourselves from the fire of hell. It's a very empowering message. He's saying, save yourselves. You have the ability to protect yourself. You have the ability to save yourself. It's empowering them. Take, you know, take control of your situation. Take control. And the Prophet of Allah even goes as far as saying, Ya Fatima bint Muhammad. O Fatima, the daughter of Muhammad, anqidhi nafsaki min nar You save yourself from the fire. In another narration, he even addressed some of his aunts. Ya Safiya bint Abdul Muttalib. Save yourself from the fire of hell. And then he said, فَإِنِّي وَاللَّهِ لَا أَمْلِكُ لَكُمْ مِنَ اللَّهِ شَيْئًا Because I don't control your fate. I don't. I don't control anything from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in regards to your fate. This is your dealing directly with Allah. أَلَا إِنَّ لَكُمْ رَحِمًا سَأَبُلُّهَا بِبِلَالِهَا That most definitely all of you here, you have a relationship with me. Y'all are family to me. And I will honor our family relations to the best of my ability. Sa'abulluha bi bilaliha. It's an expression in classical Arabic which basically means I will take care of this regardless of what it takes. No matter how difficult it is, I will take care of this. It's an expression that means that. So he's saying, I will honor my family relation to you. I will respect you. I will love you as family members to the best of my ability. But I'm just telling you here that you got to realize what you have to do. You have to be more conscious and more aware of your situation. You have to realize what's at stake here. And even so much so that the, the narration of Muslim, Sahih Muslim says that the Prophet ﷺ even said, Saluni mimali ma shi'tum. When he says, I will honor my family relations to you, he said, Saluni mimali ma shi'tun. Ask me for my money as much as you want. I will literally stand here right now and hand out all my money to you. Two things he establishes. Number one, I don't want anything from you. I will give you. I'm not asking, I'm here to give. I will, I will, I will bankrupt myself by giving to you. 
And subhanAllah, even this is a prophecy from the Messenger of Allah because he did bankrupt himself. Giving to the ummah, giving to the people, taking care of the people. I mean, eventually we'll get there. I don't want to jump ahead of ourselves. But when we talk about the passing of the Messenger ﷺ, when we read about what he actually left behind, when, if, if you are a true believer, and you study the entire life of the Prophet ﷺ, and then when we get there and we talk about what he actually left behind in material possession, it'll break your heart. It'll make you cry. Remember the narration of Umar ibn Khattab عنه, walking in, seeing the Prophet ﷺ laying down on a straw mat with literally a leather, like almost like a sack stuffed with the leaves of date palm trees. Stuffed inside of it, laying on it, so much so that when he got up, his whole face is imprinted by the leather. His whole body shows the, the, its straw. So his whole body is like imprinted with the straw. And Umar radiallahu anhu sees this and starts to cry. So the Prophet says, ask me for my money, I'll give it all to you. Number one, he says, I'm not here to ask, I'm not here to take, I'm here to give. The second thing he establishes by saying this, is that there is saying something and there's actually doing it. The Prophet didn't just talk a big game. He backed it up, he walked it. He backed it up. He stepped up. That the Prophet of Allah didn't just say, didn't just preach flowery things and say, oh, you're my family members and I love you very much and I'll put you before everything else and I'll take care of you. And then all of a sudden just push him aside and forget about him. No, the Prophet said, literally, everything I have is here at your disposal. Anyone who needs anything, let me know. I'll take care of you. I'll do whatever I can. So please understand that when I stand in front of you here today, I do this with love. I do this with, out of compassion. I do this out of concern. My heart bleeds for you. And this was the emotional address of the Prophet ﷺ. Now I want you to take something into consideration. Imagine the amount of courage that it took the Prophet ﷺ to do this to gather all of the families of Quraysh together, to stand in front of them, to take all of his social, family, political capital that he had. He cashed in all of his chips, everything that he had, he put it all on the table and backed up his message. He basically put it all there, invested everything in, went all in, and said, just please take this message from me. Imagine what an emotional moment it was. Imagine how difficult it was for the Prophet to just put himself out there like that. And pour his heart out in front of everyone. Think about how exhausting it would be emotionally, psychologically. How difficult that moment would be. And how you would be hanging on every second as to what is the response here. And once again, Abu Lahab speaks up. And Abu Lahab says to the Prophet ﷺ, Tabban laka sa'ir al-yawm. Tabban laka sa'ir al-yawm. Tabban laka, may you be damned. May you be doomed. May you be doomed. May you be damned. May you be wretched. May you be ruined. It's, a very, it's basically cursing someone. It's to curse someone out. He cursed him out. Sa'ir al-yawm. All throughout the days. Meaning, may you be ruined for the rest of your life. Did you not call us here together except for this nonsense, this garbage? Did you not gather us here together for any other reason aside from this garbage? This is how we address the Prophet ﷺ. And literally as soon as he said this to the Prophet ﷺ, and turned around and walked away, everyone dispersed. Everyone walked away from there. With the Prophet ﷺ still standing there. Imagine how difficult that moment was. Imagine how painful it was. 
Imagine how heavy it was. How difficult it was for him to deal with that situation. This was the first public address of the Prophet ﷺ. First and foremost, as we talked about, to his family, and then overall to Quraysh in general, to the other families of Quraysh as well. And so, there's a lot of different lessons that we learn from what we talked about today. One of the things that we learn from what we talked about today is that, you know, somebody might have the incorrect assumption, and all of this is based off of, you know, different things that have been said, you know, different things that have been assumed about the Prophet ﷺ. That, oh yeah, his message only caught on, and his message was only taken by those people at that time, out of family loyalty and tribal affiliation, and that's how he was able to build and gather some type of a following. We see that to be not the case at all. His own family dismissed him, his own people rejected him. So we see, and this is, now when you hear that, you might think, but doesn't that work against him? No, it actually works in his favor. They didn't, they didn't just say, hey, listen, whatever, as long as it's, you know, it's obviously this is going to work out for us. He's one of our guys. This will be good for us. Why don't we just kind of get on board and, you know, use this as an opportunity to kind of build something, get something going for us here. No, no, no. That wasn't the case. So the Prophet ﷺ definitely had to fight an uphill battle. The Prophet ﷺ wasn't appeasing people. He wasn't just preaching what was convenient to those people at that time. The Prophet ﷺ was preaching, was teaching something that was a complete shift. Was a complete shift from what they believed in and how they lived their lives. And we see that in the response that even the Quraysh and the Banu Hashim had. Another thing that we see in regards to this, is we see that if the Prophet ﷺ initially was met with Denial, refusal, rejection from his family and from his people. But the Prophet ﷺ didn't quit. The Prophet ﷺ didn't stop. The first story we talked about, first day, second day, third day. There was no quit in the Prophet ﷺ. We need to learn a lesson from that. We need to learn that type of resilience, that type of persistence, that type of steadfastness, that type of resolve. When we talk about what we've inherited, what we have from the Prophet ﷺ, it needs to also include, and we need to also understand this. So we have to understand and we have to embrace this. Another thing that we learn from this is we understand that we have to be cognizant of our role and our responsibilities. First and foremost, as a human being. That we have a responsibility that is owed to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We have to maintain our relationship with Allah. We have to put things right. Secondly, as family members, as family members, we also have a responsibility as family members. It is an obligation upon us to share the deen and to try to benefit our own family members. And then as members of society, as human beings, as citizens of this country, we have that third level of a responsibility where we have to share this truth with humanity at large. And again, we see the Prophet ﷺ fulfilling all of these three different elements. He built his relationship with Allah, he was praying, he was meditating, he was reciting the Qur'an, he was preaching and teaching to his family members. And then the Prophet ﷺ, as we'll learn later on, eventually stepped out into the public arena. Even here we see in this narration as well, stood on top of the mountain of Safa and preached his truth to the entire tribe of Quraysh and to his city at large. So we see that the Prophet of Allah took care of his responsibilities, beginning with family members. And we see the sincerity. We see the sincerity, we see the heartfelt message and the, the pleading of the Prophet with his family members. And that type of sincerity needs to be there on our part. We can't just say we care about people, we have to care about people. We have to mean it. We have to be sincere in that regard. And if we are sincere in our compassion, in our concern and love for humanity, and truly wanting that which is best for them, it will most definitely impact our course of action, it will impact our thought process, it will affect the choices that we make and what we choose to do. 
So inshallah, we'll go ahead and pause here for this week. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us all the ability to practice everything that was said and heard. Subhanallahi wa bihamdihi. Subhanakallahu wa bihamdik. Nashadu wa la ilaha illa anta. Nasaghfirku wa natubu ilayk. I spoke in the beginning of the session about, you know, the importance of seerah. All the sessions that are conducted here are recorded and are put online. And I definitely recommend that everybody try to listen to them, download them, share them with friends and family, try to spread the proper understanding of the life of the Prophet ﷺ. Jazakumullah khairan.